Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> you know, sometimes people will ask me, and probably some of you at times get the same question, what is your church like? Or tell me about your church. And when I get that question, I always sort of wonder what's in the mind of the person who's asking it, because chances are my answer is going to compare to something in their past. Maybe it's a church they grew up in, or maybe it's a church they attend now, or a church that they used to attend and now they've moved and are looking for a new church. When I get that question, I always want to sort of set it in some kind of framework. And times people are also thinking, okay, is this church, the church they're asking about, going to fit them? And so they're thinking about, do they have the programming that I want? And, and, and I begin to sort of formulate my answer, if I'm not careful, just to really to tailor our church to what they're looking for. It feels a little bit like I'm a travel website or brochure, and so they're looking for those little icons, like, you know, there's a little swimmer if they have a pool, or a gym equipment if they have a gym, faucet if they have running water, things like that. And I'm sort of identifying for those people that we have all that stuff, that they're looking for. But if we're not careful, that can so easily feed into the myth about church that I want us to think about today. And that's the myth that church is where I go to get my needs met. Now we've been thinking about some myths, right, that come from the culture and come even from church life, and they're not completely true. Maybe they have a grain of truth in them or they have some truth, but in some ways they're also a myth because they don't paint the full picture. And the truth is, we do have some important needs met in the life of the church, but sometimes the needs that we're looking to be met are, are really different from the ones that church is all about. Maybe we're looking for feeling better about ourselves. We just want someone to affirm that we're fine just the way that we are. Or we want people to, we want the church to make our marriage better, our kids listen, our parents sort of focus on our needs. Whatever need is in our lives, we're just hoping that church will make it better, will make me a better person. And again, maybe there's an ounce of truth in some of that, but the question we need to ask ourselves is is that the real purpose of church life? Or is there something more? Is there something more that church was created to be and to do? And to get at that, I really want us to look to Scripture today and to see what Scripture has to say. Because if church is just about making me a better person, like Oprah can do that, right? And church becomes pretty irrelevant if it doesn't feel like it's meeting our needs or if it's just about making me a better person. People might even leave a church that's not meeting their needs and go to a different church. Well, that's not a total loss because those people are still involved in community, but some others might leave the church because that's the expectation that they've even been taught. And since church isn't doing it, they look for something that will. So what does Scripture actually say about this? Well, and today I want us to go a little bit behind the church like we did last week. I mean, the church is, is from Acts forward and the letters of the New Testament talk about church life. The Gospels are really, that all takes place before the church is, is begun in Acts chapter 2. But much of the Gospels really is about following Jesus. And what does it mean in Jesus' claim on our lives? And so today I want us to look at a couple stories that we find in one chapter. It's all in Luke chapter 5. They're about Jesus calling some men to be his 
disciples and what he's calling them to, to do in their lives. And so I want us to look at these two stories and think about what Jesus tells us that feeds over into our understanding of church life. So, beginning of Luke chapter 5, we have Jesus teaching a large group of people, and the group gets so big, Jesus is sort of backed up against the Sea of Galilee. They're on the rise out of the sea, but Jesus is so close, he, he can't project his voice, can't see everyone. So he asks a fisherman who happened to be standing there named Simon to push off from the shore and allow him to teach from the boat so he gets a, a little distance and can see the group better. So Jesus does that, and then when he's done... <clears throat> He turns to this fisherman, Simon, who had the boat, and he says, let's put out and catch some fish. Now, Simon is a little skeptical because, like fishermen know, sometimes you go out, and he had been out all night long, and he hadn't caught a thing. Now, his livelihood is dependent on that, and so he didn't make money that night. And he wasn't that excited about spending more try time trying to catch fish that weren't there. But Jesus says, let's do it. And Simon says, well, okay. Now, Simon puts out, and about the time he gets the nets in the water, he realizes this is, this is not like anything he has ever experienced before. This is a unique event because there is more fish than he's ever seen. In fact, this begins to overwhelm him and overwhelm the boat, so much so that it's ready to sink. And so he signals to his partners in his business. You see, Simon has a boat with his brother Andrew, but they're working with another set of brothers, James and John, and they're in business together, and they're, they're probably doing pretty good. Now, they're not the wealthiest people in town, but they're certainly not the poorest. It's, they're small business owners, if you will, and it's better to work with partners because in one boat you can have nets of one size, but if you stretch those nets between two boats, you can get a lot more done in a short amount of time. And so these men have a good living together, providing for themselves and their families with equipment that's probably been handed down through the generations and has provided for some before them. And so in, in this moment when Simon has this incredible catch, he signals to James and John to come join him to try to bring in this incredible haul of fish. And suddenly Simon realizes this man Jesus, this man that he's just come in contact with, is something very special, something that he has not seen before. And so this is his reaction that we read in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Now we sort of think that Simon's response would be, Man, come with us every time we go fishing, right? Because <clears throat> this is incredible. This is the best day of business we've ever had. But instead, Simon recognizes his sin. Why is that? Well, it seems that throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, when people come in contact with God or with an angel who has a message from God, one of the common reactions to holiness, to being in the presence of holiness, is to recognize their own unholiness. When we encounter what is pure, we recognize our impurity. In other words, we recognize our sin and our guilt. And that's exactly what Simon did on this day. He wants Jesus to go away because he knows this is making him uncomfortable with who he is. 
Jesus' response in the middle of verse 10. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Some of the older translations say you'll be a fisher of men. That language may sound familiar to you. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm calling you to something different. You're not going to catch fish anymore. You're going to bring people to me. And we notice when Jesus says, Simon, this is going to be your life, he doesn't say, now, Simon, I've got a business proposition for you. I recognize that you're doing pretty well for your family, but, but i got something that's going to be even better, and it's going to provide for you in a new and different way. He doesn't say, Simon, I'm going to deal with some of the problems you have in your life. I'm going to make your marriage better, and I'm going to make your kids listen to you better, and I'm going to put relationships right. He just says, come, I'm going to make you a fisher of people. Simon didn't ask for any assurances. He doesn't ask for a business plan or a contract. He just recognizes that he is in the presence of something so different from what he has experienced before that he has to respond. And so in verse 11, they, and I think this is Simon, whose name is Peter also and becomes a great leader in the early church, Simon Peter, Andrew, his brother, who also becomes an apostle. James and John, also apostles. These are men who wrote different parts of our Bible. They pulled up their boats on shore, left everything. These boats that may have been passed down for generations, the greatest catch they've ever had, and followed him. They left it all to become followers. Disciples, that's what the word means. Learners. They're going to follow Jesus because Jesus is special. Jesus is unlike anyone they've ever met. I have a similar story, just a few verses down. Levi is a tax collector. Now, he may be one of the wealthiest men in town. Nobody likes him. In fact, everyone just really hates him. Because he's collecting money for the Roman oppressors and taking a little off the top, maybe charging a little extra to become wealthy. He's not liked, but he has everything that money could buy in the ancient world. Jesus encounters him in the tax collecting booth. Verse 27, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Again, he doesn't say, hey, I know you're making a lot of money and I've got a plan for you. You're going to have a great life if you'll just do this. Or, you know, your relationships are messed up. I'm going to heal that for you. He just says, follow me. Verse 28, and Levi, whom we know as Matthew, the writer of the first gospel, got up left everything, the tax collecting booth, this important position that it was not easy to get, that would earn dislike, but also boatloads of money, and followed him. Strikes me that in these stories and in other stories where Jesus calls people and in Acts where the apostles get up and speak and people are drawn to Jesus, that Jesus does not say anything about all the stuff that I'm going to do to make your life better or make you feel better about yourself or any of that stuff. Jesus just says, follow me. And people left everything and they, and they just followed. 
That's what happens in the story and stories throughout the New Testament. And to me, what it says is that church is not where you go to get your needs met. Church is not where you go to feel better. Church is where you go to become a disciple, a follower. Church is where I go to follow Jesus. Now, sometimes all the stuff that I want out of life and following Jesus, man, they go hand in hand. The truth is, if we follow a biblical plan for marriage, I think that's going to be a better marriage. If we follow scriptural instruction on parenting, I think we're going to be better parents. If we follow what Scripture has to say about money, I think we'll handle our money better. But, but becoming a follower of Jesus, becoming a disciple, does not always mean it's going to be an easier life. It doesn't always mean, you know, following Jesus can sometimes make us recognize our unholiness, just like Peter. It can make us recognize that there's something in our lives that really needs to change if we're going to be the person that God's called us to be. Now, in the end, we may feel better, but sometimes encountering Jesus just helps us see how imperfect we are. And when we look at the lives of these men that Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, John, and then Levi, Scripture and then some Christian tradition tells us that four of those five men lost their lives because of their faith. Following Jesus didn't make it easier. But following Jesus helped them fulfill and become the people that God wanted them to be. Following Jesus allowed them to to become just what God wanted them to be, to, to be the kind of people who reflect who God is to the people around them. And so these men spent whatever time God gave them sharing the message of Jesus and calling people to know that Jesus could forgive them of their sins, and ultimately they would feel a lot better about who they were. Following Jesus allowed them to call others to spend eternity praising God. Following Jesus showed them the the real meaning of life, a relationship with God through Jesus. It's not so much about getting our needs met, getting what we want, but allowing God to make us into who He wants us to be. You know, when I was in seminary in graduate school, most of the people there had done what I had done. They had gone to to college, and they had gotten a degree in ministry, and then they wanted further education, so they went to seminary. So most of us were people who had gone to college to be ministers. But then there was this group of people in seminary there had all gone to Georgia Tech. Now, Georgia Tech is not a place you go to prepare for ministry. You go to Georgia Tech primarily because, well, you want to be an engineer or go into some scientific mathematical field. And most of the people there go because they want to make a good living, and most of their parents send them because they want their kids to make a good living. But while this group of people were at Georgia Tech, they gotten involved in the Christian Campus Fellowship there. And it had this transformative effect. They had gone on mission trips and service trips. And all these people who had made it their goal to become engineers and make a really good living had decided they wanted to be missionaries and pastors. And some of them 
You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a good Christian engineer in an engineering firm. That's a great thing. But they decided they wanted to use those skills in the kingdom of God in a different way to help people. And so they went to seminary. And I imagine there were a lot of disappointed parents with that too, right? But, but God's call took them in a very different direction. They, they thought their needs were a certain group of things, and God called them in a different direction to fulfill a different purpose, to live a different life, to be a disciple. And God's put a call on your life. Now, God cares deeply for you and what's going on in your heart, and it's not like God says, I don't care what they want. I'm going to get what I want out of them. That's not the God that we serve. But God knows that He created us, and He created us with a purpose in mind to reflect His glory for this life and eternity. And so when, when we come before Him, it's not always just about me and what I want. And so much of this is about what does God want from me? What does God want to do with me and through me? Because that's being a disciple. And so when we come to this place, uh, sometimes we think, maybe I'll get what I want out of it. Maybe it'll make life easier. And Jesus meets us here and he says, well, maybe. But I'll make you into the person that God created you to be from the beginning. I'll make you a disciple. Let's pray together. God, make us disciples. You've called us to follow Jesus. And we want to have the courage, the willingness, the excitement, the passion to do just that. And God, we know sometimes that means we give up some stuff that we want. Maybe some of the stuff we expect. But we give it up because we know your plan is always better than ours. And if we can participate in what you want, we're ready to do it. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.